0: And welcome to Deus Life, an aspirational podcast. I am Patrick, and here with me, as always, is Hayden. And we have a very special guest today. In fact, our first guest ever. Other than ourselves. Yes, and that is Zev Lerner. Zev, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you here. Um, I guess what we should start with, because this is an aspirational podcast, it's about sort of how to make a way through life. And I think you're doing that in a really great way, in an interesting way, um, and a way that is uniquely you. So I guess just uh, we can start by telling everybody sort of what you do, and then uh, we'll expand from
1: there. Uh, So, yeah, thanks for the intro. Um, Well, I'm a filmmaker, live here in Los Angeles, and uh, yeah, I make movies and. Kind of uh, consider myself a storyteller, I suppose. I think
0: storyteller is a good way to put it. Zev Zev is very humble, um, but luckily we are here and we can describe him um, in our own words. Uh, I met Zev because I was looking t- for someone to create content with for another project that will eventually do on the back burner for sure. But um, I was sort of struck by there's a lot of people that want to work in the industry in LA, right? And there's not as many people who are willing to learn all the different skills and put in all the time and the effort to really make that happen. And uh, I was sort of struck by Zev when I met him that a he's one of those people. He just has sort of a ridiculously broad skill set. I, I, the better question is sort of like, what hasn't he done or can't he do um, in the realm of content creation or storytelling? And um, the other thing is, like us, Zev is both interested in interesting topics and, and not afraid to jump into them so we have sort of a million ways we can take this and I'm sure we'll get into all sorts of topics but I want to kind of focus on because there's probably a lot of people listening that want to be in content creation they want to tell stories when did you sort of fall in love with that as a career option and and how did you work your way toward you know finding work finding clients and becoming you know financially supported by that
1: um well I think one of the tips of advice that I've heard um, people give as to kind of finding what you want to do in life and kind of a, I guess a hot button therapy topic is Mm -hmm. kind of thinking about the things you did when you were a child. Nice. The things you did and the things you were drawn to uh, before the world got to you, before all the trauma, before all the influence. And uh, yeah, I mean, storytelling, making movies has just Always been something that I was drawn to, just uh, naturally. Nice. I think I was 12 years old. The very first time I got the idea to pick up a camera, I had seen the movie Saw.
0: It's actually <laughs> oh, said James cool. Wan was nice. my
1: initial uh, inspiration to actually uh, make a movie. There was something about that narrative of you're trapped in a room, you have a certain amount of time, the clock is ticking. You've got to do something horrible to yourself or defeat a challenge, solve a puzzle, or else you die. And that simple story, that simple formula, that drama um, was something that somehow just kind of clicked with me and nice. kind of made sense. Um, and the very next day I saw that movie, I just somehow uh, got the idea okay, we should, we have a camera and we can kind of do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I so mean, what, so what you do? I basically just remade Saw in my shed <laughs> awesome. with with my little brother Ari. He called it Wrench. <laughs> okay, <laughs> shed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, before that, uh, growing up, uh, I have a, a younger brother named Ari and older sister named Jessica. We were shout always, out to Ari and Jessica. Yes, Boom. shout out to Ari and Jessica. Um, but yeah, we were always involved in the arts, always involved in acting and I was super into painting and drawing before that, um, and acting. And we had, you know, we were all child actors in commercials and TV shows and things like that growing up. And so,
0: can you tell us one commercial you were in as a
1: child actor or a tagline that you still remember? Slash, I might have one. Is there a YouTube link? There is. (laughs) I was in in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I was in a Sunny D commercial. (laughs) Sunny delight. Um, And then I. The one tagline I remember, I was in this like cleaning product commercial (laughs) called, it was like Sunrider. Nice. And I had to sing the jingle and it went something like, rock with Sunrider, rock your world. (laughs) And then that just repeated and repeated. And then there's like a rock out moment where I played air guitar. It's it's weird. How old
0: were you when you did that?
1: Oh my gosh seven amazing like, I, very young
0: i have to tell you i've never had an urge to buy a cleaning product like even sunrider but right now i feel so immensely compelled to rock with sunrider <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just something it's deep inside me yeah. compelling rock me to go buy that product
2: yeah, yeah. i wonder yeah. if we need copyright <laughs> to sing <that. laughs>
1: i don't know like i don't know what sunrider is i think it was one of those like <laughs> cleaning products that like college kids could like sell door to door to make money. money. It was, it was oh, like an then, infomercial. Okay. You could huff it and get an MLM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, that's eventually, that's what the kids discovered and uh, it was banned.
2: All right. And so you, so you went and, and you, you, you were in the commercial for this and you sang the song and then did you ever see it come to air? Did you ever see the end result?
1: Yeah. I mean, we like somehow I had gotten a copy of it or something like that and it was incredibly cringeworthy. I mean, you know, all right. And it, what was
2: the compensation? Did you get some, I was free, get, some free I'm going to ask a similar or? question. Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I don't remember back then. I mean, uh, not much. Yeah. They don't, they don't pay child actors much. I mean, I know that some plays that I was in for being in the play for the entire summer, just hours and hours of, of rehearsals and blah, blah. Somehow they got away with paying you 50 bucks for months and months of work worth of chocolate milk. That's what they so, paid him.
2: it's so yes. less than pennies on pennies and well,
0: pennies and yeah, pennies, 10 cents an hour. Yeah. So I mean, child yeah. labor is legal in Hollywood, apparently <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah.
2: Well, San Diego. You're
1: from San, San Diego. We, San yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I was in, uh, I'm from San Diego. So a lot of that, uh, acting experience and initial, uh, uh, kind of, uh, getting my feet wet into the entertainment mm-hmm. business was in San Diego. But as things got a little more serious, started coming up to LA for auditions and, Getting familiar up here. Did
2: you have yourself an agent? Yes.
1: All nice. right. What was your agent's name? Um, the agency was uh, CESD. CESD, I believe. I could be getting that wrong. Um, Shout out to we ma- don't know. Maybe CESD. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they were great. Okay. Yeah. So
0: when you made that transition to, I want to create content for people for a living. Did you originally work for a company and then kind of go off on your own, or did you just start on your own? And what was that like, that first client, getting them and getting paid? Like, what was that experience like?
1: It was amazing. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, it happened pretty organically. So in high school, I was known as, like, the art guy. Mm -hmm. I was, that was what people knew me for, was painting and drawing. In the yearbook, I was, like, most best artist, or, you know, the people vote, most likely to be the president, most likely my thing in there and what you know people knew me for was you know making t-shirts screen printing mm-hmm. and and doing that sort of thing um but slowly and slowly got more more and more into filmmaking um and then someone had just asked me if i could uh start doing videography for the sports and uh so i started filming the lacrosse games and the soccer games and things like that and I've always kind of also had an entrepreneurial kind of side to me as mm-hmm. well. Growing up, I've always been really into like making stuff and selling it. I always had little businesses with my friends. Like my friends would get Mexican candy. Uh, you know, they go to Mexico, get nice. a bunch of candy and we'd be selling it like Arbitrage. middle school. <laughs> hustling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and selling Yu-Gi-Oh cards. We'd have little Yu-Gi-Oh drug deals in the bathroom <laughs> nice. at elementary school and it was banned. And so I've always kind of had that like hustling side to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, once the kind of two met, all the doors opened because before then I just kind of had that idea and story in my mind of the starving artist and you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to yeah. how do you
2: monetize it?
1: Right. It's a ro- I, I, I'm with you. I played music growing up and for many years I thought I would
0: just play music for a living. And when you live at home with your parents and you're like 16, the whole like starving artist, I'm going to struggle and make art. Like it's very romantic because everything is provided for you. And then once 100%. you have to provide for yourself, it's like, yeah, we need a little capitalist <laughs> spirit uh, in here. You can still make art within the realm of commerce, right? Um, so that that's, I, I I definitely relate to that. So it's just been a journey from there then kind of growing the business. And you worked by yourself originally, right? Yeah. Just I mean, everything one man show.
1: Yeah, pretty much started working. uh by myself, I'd I'd pull up. I'd borrow my mom's car. I'd have these DVDs of the different uh, games and stuff, and I would sell the DVDs to all the moms out of the back of my mom's car.
2: Five dollars or ten dollars for a DVD? Oh no,
1: or I was charging more. I went to <laughs> okay. I went to a pretty wealthy high school, okay. and so I I had all different. Okay, this is so how you know get your the mar- HD. So know your market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I made some good money actually back in high school doing filming that. competitor teams practices too. Bill Belichick actually <laughs> hired. <laughs> <him>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's um, funny. That's funny. So, and I guess uh, one thing I think working for yourself, working on your own brands and products, you kind of also segue into the self-improvement area and sort of optimal performance area. I find that in the community of not necessarily just entrepreneurs or people that have their own business, but people that are interested in doing that one day or working toward that, um, there seems to be a strong Venn diagram uh crossover with people that also want to just improve and and approach optimal performance. So that's another interest of yours, correct?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, as you're trying to, you know, optimize your business, it's like you're wanting to optimize the people within it. And especially Mm -hmm. if you're a solopreneur, um, making sure that, you know, the heart of your business is thriving and operating at its highest level is your biggest interest, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's obvious to me just saying that now why they align so well because the ultimate goal is to live your best life possible right and for you is that best life is that you had so much success young and you're retired and just kind of hanging out I don't think that's the case I think for you it's working on projects that interest you and excite you right and growing a skill set
1: yeah 100% I think it's I don't have like these I need to do this this is you know this goal that I have to reach until I'm happy until Mm -hmm. I'm fulfilled. I think that's kind of a mistake that a lot of people who get into film or art or entrepreneurship or kind of starting their own thing get is they kind of sabotage their own happiness or improvement or just enjoyment of life until they get to their goal. Um, I I
0: love that. So that I do notice that there's sort of like a, if you want to succeed and you want to get to that, point of being rich and having all this free time you got to just live a horrible life for five years and they kind of i'm just going to white knuckle this yeah. yeah yeah and you think that's the wrong approach you should find some sort of value in that grind and find a grind that's enjoyable for you
1: 100 percent. i mean i can't like physically force myself to do something that i'm not interested in nice and i wouldn't advise anybody else to do that And I think that's something that I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for. I think that's not something I earned or that I work towards to just have motivation or have an interest in so many different things or to find enjoyment in the things I do. That was something I'm lucky enough to be born with, I suppose. Um, But I think that everybody has to kind of find those things and, you know, not try to force themselves into enjoying something or force themselves into grinding something out because a lot of people, they romanticize the arts. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many friends that are musicians that are rappers and they just see that end goal of having a bunch of money and beautiful women in a jacuzzi around them. And they want that, but they don't want all of the different steps that it takes to get there. Yeah. They don't want to make the sacrifice that it takes to get there, and it's the same with entrepreneurs. I mean, they want this freedom, and it's sold to them that way. They just see this, you know, guru on some advertisement mm -hmm. with a private jet and a car,
2: six figures in six months. Yeah, right. right? The Ty Lopez's of Mm -hmm. the world. There
1: you go. So they see a Ty Lopez, and you know, I don't know too much about the credibility of Ty Lopez. I can't really speak on that, but I can probably say that he's probably worked really, really hard, even if he at is something, we don't know at what. something, right. He's selling
2: his advice.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or selling himself, yeah. um, in order to become successful to the point where, or again, or at least learning about marketing and stuff to get to the point where college universities use his original here in my garage video as yeah. a part of their coursework. So yeah, I, I think I, I just kind of, you know, I don't take it for granted mm-hmm. that I've, was able to find something really early on that captivated my attention. I was able to find a passion to where I don't have to force myself into doing something. Like a lot of times I'm I'll be talking to someone who's a business owner who I'm, you know, thinking about creating content with or a friend and they tell me about, "Oh yeah, I'm really trying to do this" and or people talking about their relationships for instance and how much they're trying to force to make it work and they're trying to bring themselves out of bed and, Oh, it's just so hard uh-huh. to wake up. And, <laughs> and to me, I don't want to like ever discourage anyone. I don't know the different things people go to, but part of me in the back of my mind kind of wants to tell them, well, maybe this, this the right thing. feeling is telling you something about, you know, what it is you should be doing. Yeah. It's, it's funny.
0: Um, I tend to side with you a little more in terms of finding something that makes you happy or fulfilled or something you want to do and and making that kind of your work. It doesn't mean you're not going to do a bunch of unenjoyable things lumped in with that, but but really relating to the end goal and, and really wanting that end goal and enjoying the process of working toward that end goal is important. That doesn't mean... You know, I've met very successful people who kind of just willed that into existence through just white knuckle hard work and, and self-control. And that's certainly a path, too. But, you know, if I'm kind of figuring out what is the way to live, like how should you live um, or or rather, how do I want to live? I'm going to side more with with your take here. So tell us
2: about some of the ways that you have been self-optimizing. So firstly, I'm curious to hear what's something that you've done in the past? Like what was your first self self-optimization that you were proud of? And what are some things you've been working on or adjusting recently?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> um, I would say I, like the number one thing that I'm kind of proud of is a mindset shift that I was able to make. And that was around the concept of just freedom. I, you know, maybe it was, you know, feeling, you know, a middle child syndrome that mm-hmm. I developed. Maybe it was not feeling um, like I had a lot of control growing up. Um, but I developed a bit of a rebel complex. Nice. Um, as a child, I would say, you know, I was into skateboarding, I, I loved anything, you know, where it ended up with us running away from the cops. I mean, won't go into, you know, too many details about statute, it. But statute of limitations. Has yeah, most yeah, of yeah. Those things. yeah. You know, I was into, you know, I was really into the idea that that freedom meaning means doing whatever you want to do. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us think that. And when we want when we aspire to doing something, when we want to become an entrepreneur, start our own business, you know, start a brand something like that the end goal in mind that we have is that I want to do this so that way I can do whatever I want and that's the goal that's freedom that's America and I completely had that as a part of my being Mm -hmm. and so when I got out on my own that's something that I really lived whether that was waking up whenever I want staying up Uh whatever I want hanging out with whoever I want putting whatever I want into my body um and so as you, can, you guys can probably tell where this is going down yeah, a bad yeah, road now yeah. <laughs> and kind of affects other people's lives. Um, but I think, yeah, like the one kind of self-improvement thing I'd say I'm most proud of is really having that aha moment and waking up to the fact that, um, and I think there's a, um, what's his name? Sorry to bring up another podcast, but there's um, a guy, Jocko Willick, I yeah, think yeah. his name oh, is. Jocko, where, big fans. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of his uh, catchphrases is, it's like freedom through discipline, discipline right? Discipline equals freedom. There you go. Yeah. So I, I got it wrong, but thank you for correcting that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of like understanding that, that concept and really having that kind of deeper level of understanding of what true freedom is um, was something that I think I'm, I'm pretty proud of having kind of as a part of my uh, you know, core framework as of today.
0: I want to make sure I'm understanding you right. So the way that I'm understanding that is basically being able to control yourself, I guess, is true freedom. Like having control over your actions and how
1: you respond to situations um, and the path that you're on. A little bit, I would say, being able to control yourself. Someone could hear that and still think, "Oh, I can control." Oh, yeah. my, you know gambling. how big you know my <laughs> like, gambling. Or, yeah, yeah, and I can do whatever I want. I think more so, it's it's knowing who you are, mm-hmm. and having a deep level of self awareness, and being extremely in touch with what you truly should be doing and what's truly going to make you happy long term and then doing that is freedom because yeah. we're all we're all kind of battling against that that monkey brain to get, you know, immediate satisfaction and so it's kind of having that deeper level of understanding to where I'm going to feel good now tomorrow, and 10 years from now about the action I'm taking and the thing that I'm putting my attention towards in this moment?
0: This is bringing up a question that I vacillate on like every day, and it's basically, if you had lived an entirely different life, but you, like same sperm and egg combined, would you be a completely different person? I mean, because it feels like it's hard for me to really say, are there inherent character traits inside of you? Like that sort of drive to rebel that led to this new idea of freedom and kind of led to you living a life that I think a lot of people would envy in terms of professional life. Um, You know, is there sort of an inherent self that you kind of understand more and more as you go, as you make decisions that don't agree with that self, you know, okay, I don't want to do that. Or is it sort of these little decisions that you make sort of mold the person you become and now that person is a self that has things that they like and dislike and gravitate, gravitate toward or move away from? Um, is it that development path or is there some inherent thing
1: in there, set of traits? It's It's both. Okay. I think so much of it is your environment is, you know, I think if you believe in kind of determinism, like I don't think, for instance, I don't think it's a complete like it's just who I am it's my soul Uh that I'm a filmmaker that I'm in LA that I'm interested in the things I am I think so much of it was stuff that my parents did and set me up for Mm -hmm. I mean the acting thing was you know if if my mom had her wish I would be a famous actor if my dad had his wish I would be a rock star you know I'd be a a famous guitar player or something and I think so many of those you know initial influences set you up on a path now to speak to the nature part and like things that don't resonate with you. Like you said, if you get an influence and whether or not you act on it, I think that's the nature thing because if I say something right now, you know, into this mic and you guys hear it and it's not true, it doesn't resonate with you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't click with you. You can't control that. That's not in your free Mm -hmm. will to control it's not in your free will to control understanding that two plus two equals four mm-hmm. and your reason and your logic and in argument, you can't control that. If, if I told a really funny joke right now and you guys busted out laughing, that's an involuntary response. Mm-hmm. And so that connection, that joke made that uh, I get it, you know, whatever allowed you to get it in your own brain processes and whatever st- you know, stats or things that are kind of given to you at birth, your IQ or those different things, you know, I think some of that is some stuff that you're born with, you know?
0: Yeah. To, to me, I've kind of understood that there's, there's an historical context to this question as well, because if you were born 4,000 years ago, you, you don't really have the luxury to become an identity. Like you're just looking for food sure. and water and you live and, Maybe you have sex and then you die. Like that—that's that, your life, right? But we live in this time where lifespan is much longer, and there's all these things that exist. Like I'm into surfing. I was born to be a surfer, right? But that didn't exist, and you would have been born the same person essentially. Um, so it, it is sort of a, a real luxury of the time to get to become a person and create an identity and move toward it, and. Um, you know coming back to what i always come back which is like creating meaning in life that that's really just i think the best way to describe that is just fucking fun like it's just fun to become a person right and decide what you like and and want to become um that's always one way i've understood as as far as people like how do i change myself how do i improve um to me you can you can sort of change what makes you happy you can change what causes you pain Um, or you can do something which is even more important and combines both of those, which is create an identity and then become that identity. And any time you're out of line with that identity, it's going to be painful and not happy. So it's going to force you to become that person, uh, I suppose. But... So um, what are some self-optimizations now that you've
2: changed? So you had, you had the mindset shift, which was really important. That it's, hard definitely. To, it's, hard, it's hard to build mm-hmm. anything unless you have a sturdy foundation, which it sounds like you set up. So what are some of the interesting ways that you're looking at and approaching the world through a new lens of yourself and you're becoming yourself and you're maximizing your freedoms and sort of living your best path? What are some of the interesting things and actionable takeaways tips tricks things that you've done along the way that have been interesting impactful for you that might be worthwhile for sharing sharing with our listeners
1: the the saying that i heard that really got me going was uh, you can't change anything that you don't measure
0: hmm. That's so great.
1: yeah so i think it just started from me wanting change in my life and i think all of us want that we all want something we all aspire to something And so uh, one of the ways I started uh, measuring things is I kind of uh, like one off the top of my head is I have a habit tracker. So I print out a spreadsheet at the beginning of every month. It has all the different things that I'm trying to change, all of the behaviors, all of the habits, and I track it every single day if I do those things or not. Damn. Zev is real about this. Zev is killing it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's just one thing. Yeah. Wow. And
2: then how many, uh, how, many, how, many, oh. how many habits do you track in a given month? And then some of them are, I imagine, weekly,
1: or some of them is, hey, I'm going to go to the gym three yeah. or a certain number of times this week. There's probably 15 to 20 different things on there. And do there's change. Simple- do you
2: change them from month to month, or is it handwritten? Do you write them fresh each month?
1: No, yeah. I mean, I, I print it out. I, I have just like a Google sheet. I'd be happy to share it with you guys yeah. or, or you guys as listeners. If yeah. anyone we'll, wants to. We'll put
2: it in the show notes.
1: Put it in mm-hmm. the show notes. Or if anyone wants to, to email me, I'd be happy to, to share it with yeah. you. What's your,
2: what's your email, Zev?
1: Um, You can just DM me on Instagram at okay. Zev underscore learner. Right, yeah. And we'll, we'll promote that yeah. ultimately
0: at the end of the show too. Promote it now and then we'll come back to it. 100%.
2: Z-E-V underscore L-E-R-N-E-R. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
0: And that's actually how I met Zev. I DM'd him. Yeah, sure yeah. I was looking for a filmmaker, and now I just he's typed in our, like now Instagram in our podcast studio. About film. I love yeah, it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so that's something I share. I mean, I've shared it with so many, uh, you know, friends of mine, and everybody loves it. I mean, it's just a, it's just a matter of being accountable. I mean, there's so many things. Like up until I had that mindset shift, it was always like, oh, you know, I should work out more, and oh, I should really do this, and but until you really start. Seeing like, oh my gosh, like I have not woken up on time or if I've mm-hmm. snoozed my alarm, you know, five days in a row and you really start to see it and you start to feel that pain of kind of thinking, okay, I'm, I'm a piece of shit. Like it's, it's literally That's on so paper. so important
0: is to feel pain. Yeah.
1: And yeah. so once you start to to really see that, I think it's really when some action starts coming in. And my first three months of habit tracking were terrible. <laughs> And it took like, but I kept with it. And after, you know, month four, month five, it was like, boom. Because you, what's nice about it is every month you get a new sheet. Fresh start. And it feels freaking great to <laughs> cross it off and say you did something at the end of the day. Nice. Have that line of, I knocked out everything today. And, you know, you feel kind of bad maybe at the end of the month. But the fact that every month you get a fresh start you get a fresh sheet of paper. You can you can have fresh goalposts too. Exactly. And you can see, okay, I haven't done this goal. Um, I need to put more priority to this. I mean, every single day, I try to just kind of focus on one thing. I mean, that's another tip I would say. If you're trying to, I mean, a lot of us want to change a lot of things in our lives. Um, mm-hmm. Write it down, you know, kind of get an idea of where you want to go. I think that that's fine. But in terms of what you're like, actively focusing on, I think you just got to choose one thing.
2: I like that. And then prioritizing that one thing in a given day is often oftentimes difficult. I think it's important that you called out that it took you that the first few months, because we we live in this world of instant gratification and new new abs in 15 minutes and stuff along those lines. Um, So it's important to call out and highlight that true change takes time and i mean habits take a while to form there's that number which is 27 days if you do something for 27 days that's what science says the habit is so to hear you highlight that it was a path where there was there was some struggle at the beginning as you were forming these new habits and sort of analyzing yourself and one of the things that's interesting is it's important to reflect on as you're going through the month if you aren't doing one of those tasks mm-hmm. for a for a particular reason It's important to ask yourself and reflect on why that is or isn't something that's coming naturally to you, whether or not it's a goal setting thing, whether or not it's whether or not it's your your spirit telling you this isn't something that I don't really want to do or it's not a good use of my time. So it's a really good exercise because it builds in that layer of accountability we're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's so insanely proactive. I'm, I'm kind of in shock. Like I I'm already it.
2: thinking through, like, what are some of the things that I would put on there? <laughs> it, like it, it, if I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you snooze your phone. That's a good one. There's probably some really out there
0: stuff, too. Also, oh, yeah. I'm so opposite of that. It's interesting. Like, I'm someone who's cycled on and off a ketogenic diet for, like, three years at this point. I didn't measure ketones until like two months ago. <laughs> That's the <laughs> first time. It's it's amazing. Uh, which would be the first, you, like the first form of measuring or validation you would think to do, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. mine is so nonchalant compared to this. It's like, yeah, I think I'll stop drinking caffeine or something. Um, so is that another? one? So is that like just eat, eat,
2: a very eat, different eat. approach? What are, What yeah. are some other things that, that uh, examples of things that you could put on a habit tracker so, like that? So yeah, I Exer, uh, exercise is probably yeah, one. exercise,
1: exercising on there is on, is there for me journaling. So that's another way of mm. when you're noticing a trend in there, I, I write in a journal every day and I have different journal prompts. Again, if that's also something I could share with people as well, it's pretty that's interesting. Amazing. And
0: you're building your ability to write. Do you type it or handwrite it? Handwrite. Wow. Yeah. I almost you, can't handwrite
1: anymore. Where do you,
2: where do you keep the journals?
1: Uh, I have, I just keep it right by my bed. Okay. So I have three morning journal prompts that happen, you know, as I'm eating breakfast or when I wake up and then I have a nightly one. Very cool. And Does those all go in the same
2: journal and each yeah. each, each day has its own page or something yep. like that?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, incre- this, this is another thing that is incredibly, incredibly helpful for me. I mean, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, of going back to this like mm-hmm. amoebus like yeah, you know yeah. creative uh, person kind of doing their own thing doing your own
0: thing is exactly what i'd say yeah
1: if you if you are the person driving your business there is an endless to-do list and it never goes away and the moment you do one thing the moment you put out one fire there's another and so actually getting quality sleep and stepping away from your computer or away from your work and stepping away from thinking about your problems is incredibly difficult uh for a lot of people and it certainly was uh for me um i was definitely somebody who would put their head on the pillow at the end of the night and my mind is on fire yeah and uh so one of the ways that definitely helped put out that fire was to have that uh, nightly journaling where i can say all right i'm gonna write down the things that are going through my head i'm gonna plan out tomorrow i'm gonna block out and schedule what i'm doing tomorrow I'm going to reflect on how I screwed up on this, you know, client call or how I blew a sale or how this issue with someone I hired is going. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to, you know, put it on paper, leave it there, and I'm going to be done with it and I'm going to deal with it tomorrow.
2: Very cool. Yeah, that sounds like something I could use a little bit more because I I hear that when you mention the, the mind racing when your pillow, when your head hits the pillow. I've definitely felt that and i think part of it is yeah. your your brain still going through the process of inventorying indexing and filing all of the events of the day and so having something more structured like a journal which i admit i i would struggle with that journal because well, let me ask you some practical implications from that if you are so do you write in the exact same journal in the morning that you do in the night yes okay and then it's all on the same page and then is that also so as you're going through the exercise of Looking back on the day and also planning the next day, or you do you plan and write out your to do list? What where do you where does your to do list live?
1: It it can kind of start in there. Um, I don't necessarily go back to that. Like I'll, I'll kind of sometimes write a new one once I wake up. Um, I've been journaling for a year now. I started back in April of last year. Um, but yeah, you know you can kind of reference it then, and you can kind of reapply it. Um, it's less to like have the to do list that you have by your desk. And you're using that to go off of, mm-hmm. um, but more so just to like give your mind a a rest. It's it's. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's a placebo. You got to kind of believe in it, its power, and and give yourself the mental note that I'm putting this here. And of course, it can be referenced, and that's one of the most amazing things. Is after you do it over a year's time, seeing the trends, rereading entries is absolutely incredible. It's the same as the habit tracking, like. I've been dwelling on this element of my personality. I've been having an issue with this. I've wanted to do this. I put this item on my to-do list for the last three months and I haven't gone to it. Being able to track uh, those things uh, over a course of time is like, that's really where the journal makes major impacts in your life.
2: That's very cool. And yeah. then, what kind of journal is it? Is it uh, one of those like the what?
1: similar to that? It's similar, just like to a a, a planner, like moleskin style. Yeah, j- journal. great brand name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's please it's, sponsor us, moleskin. Yeah, please. <laughs> it could be anything. I mean, there's ones you can buy that have their own prompts. Um, the hmm. my my three morning ones uh, that I can share is I do um. What is it? Three things I'm grateful for. I do like three affirmations like i am something um and then i do what would make today great sounds pretty cheesy little woo woo it's fine they're broad and, they're open-ended that's good and, that's, and it's what you bring
2: to it you can write you yeah, can make it of course you, you, you can make it woo woo in your answers but it is what you make of it right
1: and that's the other fun part about it is like it can really just be like one day it could be something so simple like i'm grateful to you know for this microphone, or I'm grateful for this mug that I have, I'm grateful for my laptop, but it could also be something a little, you know, a little bit deeper. Um, it's really just what you make of it. And it's really about kind of having the faith that like over time, these things kind of, these habits of journaling kind of center you and really allow you to organize your thoughts and not have your brain running in a million different directions i feel like it gives
2: yeah. i feel like especially the, the the end of day journaling is really interesting to me because that's helping me picture the sort of the relief i would feel giving myself permission to mentally mm-hmm. offload all the baggage of the day and it gives me a safe place on a on a piece of paper to write, reflect, and dump everything. And I'm oh, yeah. basically taking this baggage out of my brain, putting it there, and that allows me I could feel I can picture my shoulders getting lighter. Because I don't yeah. have to carry the weight of whatever has been going on that particular Well you're
0: day. externalizing your thoughts as well. Like I've had some bad bouts of insomnia and the last time I just like made my life about sleep. And one of the things, aside from all the like physical things like caffeine stuff like that, which is really effective. Um, but one of the things I kind of realized and you know, I obviously can't prove this, but in this day and age, especially with AirPods and things like that, like there was almost a never a moment where I was alone with my own thoughts except the shower. And I started to realize like, man, when I'm like getting ready to write something or like think about an idea or outline something, I always just jump in the shower and think about it. Cause it's really like my last bastion of like, there's no audio. There's can't no take noise. Your phone in there yeah. Yeah. I got rid of the speaker. And then I started to realize that like, The more I don't have headphones in cooking or just walk around and think stuff like that, the less I have that racing, you know, brain at at night. Um, I think the brain just like craves some deep thought. Um, So this journaling is a really good way to sort of externalize that and, and get it out, I think.
2: And then caffeine though, you hit on, hit on that hot button. As you you were talking about that, uh, I took a sip of my caffeine. For those of you (laughs) listeners that can't see this Coke Zero, I'm drinking on the table. uh,
0: Zeb, what color are your eyes? Brown. Brown, Brown, hazel. Mine are light blue, which apparently you're, you're more prone to being susceptible to caffeine. I've had a weird relationship with caffeine. Tell me more about this. This eye color
2: has... Yeah, uh, apparently
0: uh, lighter eyes correlates with... Because uh, of science? Yeah. You just, your, your enzymes aren't as effective. You don't have uh, as much of them or because of the color of your eyes. Not because no, no, no. Let's not confuse causation. This is a correlation. correlation. Yeah. It would imply you come from a certain gene pool, um, which tends to not be great at metabolizing caffeine. So I, I've changed my relationship with caffeine, which used to be, God, I love coffee (laughs) uh, and I love like having drinks in my hand all the goddamn time. Um, just having such a high tolerance and kind of relying on it to like, I'm just going to quit. And I've come to realize that caffeine really is an amazing drug. That's best utilized when you don't have a tolerance for it. So I drink caffeine on podcast days now.
2: Yeah. So
0: what's your, Zev, what's
2: your, what's your feeling? What's your, what's your experience in your relationship with caffeine like these days?
1: Well, yeah, as the saying goes, the film industry runs on caffeine and nicotine. (laughs) Yep. You go on any film set big professional film set it's a just feeding frenzy what of kind of caffeine vapes do they have? and energy drinks and <laughs> wow. cigarettes and Is there an coffee espresso, espresso bar espresso. Seen- yeah if you- one one company i work with it's they're all about espresso like everyone's passing around different espresso and it's damn it's all that's their drug it's all over the place yeah and my relationship with it it it's, it's like an emotional relationship. It's how mm-hmm. you relate to people. It's like, let's go get coffee. Let's, you really start associating it and the drug with the happy, warm, fuzzy feelings. It's like you, you get this warm mug in the morning and you're doing it with people and you feel kind of a part of that, that tribe. And I mean, one of the most popular like filmmaking, you know, Facebook groups is called Black With No Cream. You know, it's such a like pervasive uh, uh, kind of thing within my world. Um, and so it, it it's almost like, you know, to have that and to be into it is for you to signal to everybody else like I'm, I'm one of you and to not do it. Is to say like, oh, what's wrong with them? In a oh, way, it can it, feel that it, way. It,
2: it can feel like it can feel to the recipient like you're
0: critical of their life choice by wow. not participating in that. So caffeine is a, a hugely
1: political aspect of filmmaking. I mean, <laughs> I'll have tea
2: instead. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh no, tea people! <laughs> not, come on now. Not necessarily, but it's it's just like anything else. It's like if you really loved a book or a movie or a musical artist. And you said, you know, if, if, if Hayden was the biggest Prince fan on the planet, he might be <laughs> true. We're going to leave that as a mystery for
2: the listeners.
1: I just, I just threw that out there <laughs> randomly, but let's say he is. And I said, Oh, who's Prince. And you got extremely angry. Yeah. It's just like anything else like that. Or, you know, sometimes if, you know, in the film world, if there's someone in the in the circle of conversation who hasn't seen Star Wars, mm-hmm. people will march off and say we can't be friends. And they will sometimes be legitimately angry at that person and they won't want to continue the conversation. So so, so is caffeine
2: fandom similar to Star Wars fandom in the sense that in your world, people will either ostracize somebody for not participating in caffeine
1: Uh, probably not quite that probably not quite but i'd say you know in in different ways you know you're
0: gonna miss out on some opportunities because you're not
1: fully part of the tribe i
0: suppose
2: well if you're not going to coffee you miss out on the coffee meeting
0: if you're not there they're talking shit about you is basically what i've learned
1: essentially it's like that with a lot you know it's like that with a lot of uh with a lot of things i've heard on like oil rigs or something there's like a big uh I don't know if it's oil rigs. I could be misquoting this, but, you know, in in certain work environments, there's like pressure to be a cigarette smoker because going out on that smoke break. I mean, you guys have been in social situations or at a bar. Maybe you're talking to, you know, a a lovely lady at a bar and, you know, she wants to go out and smoke or go do something. It's like there's pressure sometimes to have those tighter knit social conversations that drag people into like getting into stuff and it could be worse it could go into being hard drugs and you're just in that room and you feel that social pressure to mimic and conform it's, so
0: it's real i've you're actually touching on something I, I, one of my favorite ideas i've always wanted to mimic the like just the power of the smoking section i don't want to smoke cigarettes right but here is this little secluded area where you sit in there and you're a part of a group that all the people that are fucking outside are looking at you and judging you. And just that like commiseration bonding that happens in smoking sections. There's never been an easier place to make friends than a smoking section. And I've long <laughs> wanted to recreate that. So somewhere. how do we, So
2: let's replicate. How do you. Re- the
0: best way I microwave
2: microwaveable food. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh,
0: walking a dog. Walking a dog, mm, dog. No. people walking dogs that walk by each other. The dogs, you know, mingle. So and the stuff, dogs like, are the cigarettes. The dogs are the cigarettes. Okay, so what yeah. else can
2: be the cigarettes? Caffeine? Mm, not really. I, it's I don't. Got to be something
1: shareable, it's right? Like, it, sure. I mean, what's an not, easier introduction? Chicken, than alcohol. Chicken, alcohol chicken, is chicken certainly tenders. one. Um, it's definitely chicken tenders. Yeah,
0: bars and stuff. Uh, that that that's certainly one. But the smoking section, man. Everyone's looking at you and judging you, and we got to be friends because they're not going to be friends with us, right? Like. Sure. Um... Yeah. I've always wanted to replicate that. Well, there's also
2: more sharing innate in cigarettes because mm-hmm. people are, I, I don't know. I'm not a cigarette smoker, but I've seen people or they'll go into the smoking section. They'll bum a cigarette. And then that kicks off a conversation or it's, Hey, yeah. you, got, hey you got a light and they'll light their um, cigarette yeah, for him. Yeah, exactly. That is the cheapest and easiest way to start a conversation. Mm-hmm. And similar with dogs. It's, Hey, I'm going to share in this moment. I'm going to pet. I'm going to say hi to the dog. How or something. old is she? Oh, What's yeah, her what name? Kind of, what kind of dog? <laughs> Where'd point, you get that? It's leash. actually a he. Exactly. <laughs> hey, there you go. Run, run into trouble too. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so there's a lot of that involved too. So it's about having something that's naturally shareable. In terms of the experience, yeah. and then also making sure that it is low cost and it's sort of universally understood. So there's it's not like, a whole lot
0: of other things like that. Though, it's like uh, wearing a band T-shirt, and then somebody sees that T-shirt and they're like, "I love that band too." And it's sort of like just publicly displaying something that you both share. I guess there's a there's is a, that basically everything. That's, that's <laughs> it's, ba- it's basically it's all everything. clothing, it tattoo, is. piercing exactly. choices. There's
2: yeah. a uh, there's a there's an idea in the world of uh, pickup artists, which mm-hmm. is that you intentionally want to have something. On your person, or that you're doing, that's considered a what's it? So that somebody, as they're walking by, will go, "Hey, what's that pin on your shirt? What's that band? What's that? What's visionary?" Keto pet foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to ruffle his shirt. Patrick's mm-hmm. wearing a visionary keto pets food.
0: Shout out to visionary keto pets. Shout foods. out to vision. That
2: shout is out a, to visionary. Shout out to visionary indeed. Um. So yeah, it's a it's a what's it? And so there's an element of the what's it that makes it socially safe to start talking around cigarettes. And mm-hmm. so I imagine that there's elements of that with caffeine as well, where you're sharing coffee, you're sharing a moment either at the water cooler or at the Coffee maker stuff along those lines. And there's also there's a kindred spirit in indulging in vices as well. So that's something being naughty together.
0: Mm. that is such a thing it's like when people go out to clubs and one person is holding the bag of powder and it's like this "Oh, we're people ooh we're keeping it a secret mm-hmm. and it's like that that whole thing it's mm-hmm. like the drug is the least important aspect of no, that it's, it's a, just yeah, it's about a, the bonding of the like we're doing social this circle and piece. they're not yeah. part of us exactly. right exactly yeah yeah.
2: And so, yeah. and that goes back to our tribal nature too because we're naturally I mean our natural inclination is to seek safety among people that have similar world outlooks that we do mm-hmm. and so if you find somebody that's willing to indulge in the same things or they like the same tv shows we like people that are naturally similar to us and we're constantly whether it's deciding who can sit with us or where we sit at the lunch table in elementary school all the way to now who we work with spend our time with we're constantly it's us and them or it's uh, it's tribe and non-tribe and so we're constantly sort of that's part of our biology because it teaches us how to stay safe because for Tens of thousands of years, it would stick with your hundred or 150 people, or however many people have in your tribe, and that's how you stay alive. And now, this yeah. society we live in, it's totally foreign where you go into the supermarket and there's people from 50 different tribes that would 150 years ago be setting off all kinds of threat alarm bells because. It's just, it's fundamentally different. And so we're constantly looking. And so it's cool that caffeine, cigarettes, dogs, there's so many other things, whether it's fighting or so many interests, music, making backyard shed,
0: saw movies, like there's so many things there. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think another thing you're touching on is that there's so many people now that in order to organize, we all have to believe in these communal mythologies. Like the most obvious answer would be people that love the office. Um, it's basically every third person will tell you that uh, a core identity trait of theirs is they love The Office. So are you
2: telling us, Patrick, that you haven't seen The Office?
0: I've only seen a few episodes of The Office.
2: I don't know. I, I don't uh, know. i if we, I, I don't know if we can be friends. <laughs> there was a season
0: one. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, after season one, we got the DVD somehow. So I've seen most of season one of The Office. Um, whenever that show premiered, uh, the US version, which is probably like 2005, 2005, six. five, seven, or 2006. 2005, yeah. Six, yeah. 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 Oh, that's crazy. Okay, so that's a a tribe that you're aware of? It's a tribe I've always been on the outside of. That's my smoking section is people who haven't seen much of the office.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing that I think locks people into their vices is that they think, okay, I want to quit smoking cigarettes or I want to quit caffeine. And the things that went through my mind, so I'm about two weeks, 12 days into um, quitting caffeine. And the moment you start to think you want to quit something or change a habit of yours, one of the things that locks people in is thinking they're going to miss out on that tribal interaction and thinking, Oh, identity. Yeah. How am I, what, what if someone invites me to coffee? What if blah, blah, blah. And you start getting into your head about, you know, just like we did and, you know, thinking about, okay, well, what else are these shareable things? What else works in these ways? And, you know, I think that that's a huge mistake. I think that thinking that you need something like that to be able to create those experiences is just kind of, A lack of creativity. I think we came up with, you know, a few examples, but I'm sure we could come up with more. And it essentially just comes down to just being interested in a lot of different things. And you can find those things anywhere. And if you are at a point where you want to quit something, if you want to make a change and those thoughts of being kicked out of a tribe or people not liking you because you don't drink or you don't, you know, smoke or you don't do whatever, I'm not into the office, those fears of either getting into something because of that fear or trying to get yourself out of something, I think that's just, you know, that's that's a mistake in my mind, and I think you should try to be a little bit more creative in figuring out how else you can connect to people. I mean, there's plenty of people, maybe there's some people that 100% of their identity is the office, but <laughs> I'm sure there's other things that we can relate and that we can get along with on. Critical you
0: know? characteristics. Um, I guess uh, what you're reminding me of is what I think the biggest tribe in the world is and that's sort of the tribe of shared laughter I would think if I'm trying to I've been very curious and like kind of into humor recently like what is it why does it exist it's probably the most pervasive thing in all of society like no matter where you go uh, I remember there was a show on Netflix. I forget what it was called, but it was a producer, one of the producers of Seinfeld, going to these like war-torn countries and looking at the comedy scene there.
2: Oh wow! Still
0: thriving. You know, it could be the the worst situation ever. It could be a Somalia or one of these countries that have been in a civil war for the last forty years or something, um, with just mass suffering, and still there's jokes being made about it, and still a comedy scene. Um, I think the other one would be that I was watching a video on recently was dance. It was The video was called, like, Why to Dance Like an Idiot. And it's sort of, like, destroying your ego and becoming part of a group and dancing like an idiot. And that the wrong way to do these things, like humor and dancing, is to do what society does, which is to place gradations and abilities and tiers and values based on, like, looking cool dancing. Or to go to the rave, you got to look a certain way or like a certain scene. Um, where at baseline, these are sort of universal community-building tactics, which is basically looking like an idiot together and forgetting about judgment Which is what humor kind of is at its core, like especially present in physical humor. Like when somebody falls down, it's funny because they're showing you that despite all the pretense and whether you wear a nice suit or all this stuff, you're just a fucking stupid person. (laughs) And it's like it's enjoyable to see that reality every once in a while. I think. Um, Any take on humor, Zev?
1: I think. Well, I kind of touched on it before, saying that the idea that laughing at a joke is involuntary. Mm -hmm. I think that humor is an art form and just like every other art, there's just these kind of core principles which guide it and is also kind of, you know, if there was anything that is my driving motivation in life, it's the, you know, the pursuit of truth or trying to discover Mm -hmm. what is true. You can call that enlightenment or you can, you know, call that Jesus or whatever you want to call it. But I think that's kind of what that, you know, that's what people are looking for. And, and ultimately, and if someone tells a joke, and it's funny to you, I think that response that you have by laughing is almost in immense of that is true. You know,
0: that's a really powerful statement. So the pursuit of truth in, in terms of just shedding all preconceived notions are sort of like, Active uh, portrayals of yourself, uh, I guess, like finding what is true um, in any environment or context. I'm not putting this
1: into words right. What, what does pursuit of truth mean to you? It means, I guess, it's just like discovering. It's just. Oh, well, I don't want to use the word "true" in the definition of no, no, my it's, definition, it's a little but I'll just so do what you want. Yeah, it's yeah. a little hard. I mean, I'll just, I'll just kind of. Word vomit kind of what I mean here. It's yeah. like it's, it's just discovering like what the right path is for yourself. Hmm. And so if what you're doing is true and is good and is the right thing, kind of like how I was saying, it's like it shouldn't only feel good right now, but it should feel good for you. It should feel good for your family. It should feel good for society. It should feel good now and a week from now and a year from now. And I think one of the things that, like, as a filmmaker, you're always trying to do, or even in this podcast, like, what are we trying to accomplish in this podcast by even discussing these things and picking each other's brain is we're we're exploring ideas and we're trying to kind of, like, uncover the true nature of how to live a, yeah. you know, examine life or um, kind of sharing maybe some of the wisdom that we've learned. And, you know... How do you do that, though? You know, for me, it's I create a film or I create a piece of marketing content for a company. And if it resonates and it does and it has the intended effect that we were going out for, it creates signups, we, you know, increase revenue for the company and it, and it builds a certain story and image. We know that it was true and it resonated with the people and we were successful and we kind of uncovered a bit of truth of, of human nature and what people want. And that feels good. And that's something that I think, uh, you know, you mentioned kind of mythology earlier mm-hmm. and, you know, getting into, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware of like Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. and The hero's ep- journey. Exactly, the hero's journey. And you can even tie in, you know, evolutionary biology. I think when we're kind of applying those different lenses to look at what are things that human beings are drawn towards. What do collective cultures and societies all kind of align on in terms of what they would decree or determine in wisdom is a fulfilling life and what is the meaning of life I think a lot of that comes down to comes down to the hero's journey it comes down to discovering you know what is true and uncovering that for yourself and being the hero of your own journey. Through some sort of sacrifice and then bringing those spoils of war, you know, back to the people and leaving the planet and the world and your tribe, you know, better off uh, in the process. That's
0: very true. I think that's a personality type, though, is kind of seeing yourself as a hero in a story. Like, I think there are some people... Everybody's the hero of their own story. You think everybody feels Mm -hmm. that way?
2: I think everybody sort of viscerally is the protagonist of their own life. Um, One of the big things that's interesting to me when I hear marketers and branding experts talk about the hero's journey is, is that you don't want your brand, product, service, or business to be the hero because every single person is the hero of their own story. You want your tool. The reason iPhones are so amazing, it's not that the iPhone is the star of the show. It's that it helps me, the hero of my journey, live a more fulfilled life. And the easy explanation or example is that you want your product or service to be like Yoda. You want it to be the thing that adds additional context, additional value, is the guide, whatever that is, to help and empower each of us as the hero of our own journey to be the hero of our own journey in a more heroic way.
0: Yeah, I think that's amazing. I still think there are some people that walk around in life and their mind is kind of empty. And you know, it's like, oh, I've got to go to the store. Oh, I think we need broccoli. I think I'll get some broccoli. And then they get the broccoli and they come home and they make the broccoli and then they go, oh, it's it's 10.30, I think I'll sleep now. And then they wake up and it's like, and, I guess and, I'll go to work now. I gotta make the boss happy, and and, <laughs> and to them that's their that's their journey, and, yeah, and
2: that's their story. And it might not be it might not seem the most compelling or interesting to an outsider, but to the person living that, they're on a mission to go to the grocery store to get the food so that they can prepare themselves to go to bed. And I mean, it's still you can still see it through the framework of everybody being the hero of their own story.
0: Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is, I falsely make it seem like every moment is this high stakes. Um, action adventure movie and every I I could slip up at any moment and Mm. I gotta be on top of it and I gotta make sure I'm prepared for this moment or this day or whatever's happening. Everybody does that. Is that real? Absolutely.
2: Everybody does that.
0: Why why do you say falsely though?
2: Good question.
0: I say falsely because inherently in my mind and I think this is partly why I've always been calm in crises or anything like that and what's really helped me sleep a lot better is just like a pure apathy. (laughs) Like a, a, a pure objective apathy toward the world, which I don't think is like, it's not like a pessimism or uh, like a lack of interest in the world in any way. It's the exact opposite. But no matter what happens, it's going to happen. And in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't think my life is objectively important. Right. But on the flip side of that, it's the most important thing to me. And so every day I just walk around thinking, you know, how can I make this thing cooler and more exciting, I guess, even though to me it really doesn't matter. That's what I mean.
2: So at the same time, you're able to manage recognizing the level of importance in the grand scheme of things, as well as seeing it through the end of one lens of yourself to recognize that, hey, I need to make this important because it is a part of my hero's journey.
0: Yeah, there's something unique to humans, I think. Maybe other animals have it too, but it's consciousness. And one would argue that consciousness is a mistake because it probably leads species to their own destruction. That's one answer to why there's no aliens, is eventually you develop an ability to kill your civilization because of consciousness, i.e. nuclear weapons.
2: Interesting.
0: Um, you know, that, that would be sort of... Uh, there's something... It's the Fermi paradox. I wrote down the math because I always forget it, but there are billions of solar systems in the galaxy, right? and there are at least 2 trillion galaxies in the known universe. That That's an inconceivable scale, right? But given the math, statistically, there should be aliens on an infinite timeline, right? So where are the aliens? And one answer to that is
2: consciousness fucked them
0: yeah one answer is eventually nature goes wrong you become conscious and you start down that technological path and you develop weapons that can kill yourself and you wind up with honey boo boo exactly well in our world we're lucky we have nuclear weapons right and honey boo boo and honey boo boo (laughs) (laughs) but it just so happens randomly that nuclear weapons are really fucking hard to make like barely anybody understands them it takes a ton of resources That was a random event, though. It didn't have to be that the thing that could destroy our world is difficult to acquire and make and costly to push the button on um, because people care about how they go down in history. Um, It didn't have to happen that way. So for most societies, you know, they discover a rock that kills the world. That's a simplified meaning of it. Or or honey boo-boo. Yeah, or honey boo-boo. Honey (laughs)
2: boo-boo is way easier to make than a nuclear bomb. Now, I
0: have a confession. I also have never seen honey boo-boo, so this is another character trait I'm missing out on. I have to walk out twice now. Yeah, gonna Find my entire <laughs> yeah, being right. over Honey Boo Boo. I had a friend Sk- that told Skitty. me. Uh, I had a friend that once sent me a picture of Honey Boo Boo's mom and told me she looks like a thumb, though, and I thought that was an extremely accurate description. So, well, we'll have to put a picture
2: in the show notes. That's my thorough knowledge <laughs> for, of Honey Boo Boo for, is for that them. her
1: mom looks like a thumb. it will be them. really awkward for when, that when that you have Honey well. Boo Boo's mom on as a guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i'm gonna look up if she's alive after this <laughs>
1: she's dead you're like all right I'm diabetes
0: sorry. is a tough condition <laughs> to live with. Man, you oh, know God. i mean this has been a decade of fame and diabetes that's a that's a deadly concoction there so zev what are you excited for for the rest of
2: 2020 we're in the midst of this coronavirus right now and that's affecting everybody whether i mean How it's did I forget every, to mention that? every single layer right. of the economy i imagine some of your clients or your projects have been put on pause or back burner Mm -hmm. that's entirely possible that some of your people that you've been working with are no longer in business or that some of your clients they're in an industry where it doesn't look like they're particularly well suited to be able to ride this out what are you seeing in your world what's still giving you pause what's giving you excitement for the future and sort of what are you what are you excited about
1: um I don't know. I mean, we just heard that we're going to be or that the <laughs> stay at home order is going to extend for yeah. three more months.
0: Allegedly. Is that official yet? We're in we're in Los Angeles. So I think. Oh, that- well, I don't know if it's official. Actually, it was then. alleged. Yeah. OK, I, I, my bad. I, I, it was a news outlet that said this is likely what's going to happen. So we
2: might be yeah. over indexing on this. But so let's let's go through both both possibilities. Let's say stay at home order is extended for another few months. Let's explore the, the let's explore the good parts of the worst case scenario. So let's say that does extend for a few months.
1: I think that the good things that have come out of this, um, I think that industries that were vulnerable or any aspect of people's businesses that were vulnerable um, got exposed. And as terrible as that is for a lot of people, I think that I just, I have kind of an underlying faith in human beings and in ingenuity and in Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and business. And whereas... You know, maybe it's like a natural selection type of outlook, but as some, you know, businesses are going to go down. I mean, I just heard that soup plantation is closed and, and went under, unfortunately. Ladle
2: one out for the homie. Yeah. So. RIP. I love soup plantation. So
1: <laughs> that that made me really sad. Um, I think that, you know, just like everyone else has said, there's so many, you know, new businesses and new technology and new ideas that are going to come out of this and, You know to the degree to which we weren't prepared for a pandemic of this uh scale um you know hopefully in the future we will we will be more prepared i mean it's kind of been something you hear about in science fiction and in post-apocalyptic stories and movies and things like that and when you actually kind of think about it it is kind of a pretty likely like before this had happened if you were to guess what would be a likely way of us going out um it it was kind of up there. I mean, there was like a video game I used to play in oh, elementary yeah, yeah. school called pandemic. Yeah. And there was a video game where you, you, you design, design a virus, virus. you yeah. design a virus, you pick the symptoms, you pick how it spreads, all of these things. And you just see the world map and you see planes wow. carrying it. It's a lot of fun. Wow. It was super dark. And now <laughs> looking back, but yeah, I mean, it's like these models and these things kind of seeing them happen in real life. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of uh, brings a light to, you know, the different ways that the way we were doing things was potentially vulnerable. And so I think the good thing is that whatever those, you know, holes in the ship that have erupted, we're going to be able to patch those up and, you know, continue on. Um, I love your optimism.
0: Yeah. Especially coming from an industry that was much harder hit than Hayden and hate in her eyes work like uh, it's really interesting how has it affected your work personally
1: uh, personally it's it's you know it's definitely affected my work I mean mm-hmm. I have uh, a lot of shoots that were put on hold I've had to you know track clients down to get payments I've gotten ghosted by a lot of people I mean I'd be halfway through you know certain larger projects and kind of get radio silence or people don't know or I'm you know they lie to you oh yeah it's in the mail and blah blah and because the, 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 big, the big thing is is that there's just so much unknown. And so, yeah, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to have my own business. Um, but for people who work in the traditional film industry as employees, yeah. I mean, they're all on unemployment, uh, you know, like uh, the future for them and how it actually will affect the businesses that run the traditional You know, film industry, that's definitely kind of up in the air right now. And there's definitely a lot of uh, concerns, I suppose, up to how those things are going to be able to recover and those companies will.
0: Yeah, I feel like I'm living through an extended funeral for sort of what L.A. was before. Uh, Like just the economic implications of the shutdown is now more prominent on my mind than the virus itself. Especially for a city like L. A., where everybody has three freelance jobs that they're doing to kind of support themselves, and everybody has a grander dream that they're using those things to work toward, um, it's it's not a city that is built to withstand like a three four month stay at home order. So I. I I'm starting to see all the for rent signs go up because a lot of people are moving back home to the two, one to two hour drives where they come from to move here. Like it's a city full of people that aren't from here as well. So people are going to be leaving back to where they came from. Can you imagine how
2: bad it is in Las Vegas right now?
0: Oh my God. Yeah. So it's, it's just, um, I don't know. I'm just really confused as to what the longer this goes on, the more significant the changes to the city are going to be. 100. Um, As long as the rest of the country gets back to work, I'm fine financially as long as people have discretionary income, right? But I'm like an outlier, and it's sort of like I'm just sitting here and and watching all this economic devastation without really an answer for it um, or knowing who has the answer for it. And it's just a really weird situation in that way.
2: What's scary to me here is that... uh one piece is that sort of historically, we've had technological events that have fast-tracked um, sort of mechanization of things in our world. And so it's interesting. A lot of people complained about having to order their burgers from a kiosk when they go into a fast food restaurant. Um, but it's interesting because those same people weren't necessarily complaining when we had to switch from using a thresher and reaper to, to harvest wheat to now there's giant combines that, may, that do the work of 200 people in a day. This one machine will do the same thing. And so what we're going to see is a very, very rapid transition from a lot of the lower skilled labor jobs that were a big part of the, whether it's retail work, call center work, whether it's a uh, hospitality work as well, um, we're going to see a rapid change in how those jobs exist in the future. And there's going to be a lot of sort of clunky transitioning where a lot of people who's Skills and livelihood was wrapped up in being one of those positions, whether it's a driver of some sort or work in a restaurant or a bar or any of those things, that we're going to see a lot of those opportunities disappear. And it's going to be how well we as a society can adapt to either re educate or find places for those people to have meaningful livelihoods in our society. And I'm nervous about that because I mean, it's, I I don't know, I heard an interesting thing where somebody was saying that. They asked and interviewed a bunch of people about what the hardest thing they ever went through in their life was. And so they they would think about, oh, well, what was the the most sick you ever got? Or what was the worst thing that ever happened? And the longest, one of the things that's most likely to have a long-term impact as a negative experience is long-term unemployment. That was more so than the death of a family member. It was more so than getting very sick themselves. And so we're now having to balance what the right mixture is of exposing people to economic and sort of self-identity despair that's created from economic situations versus what can happen from a medical standpoint. So I don't know. End of rant. That'll be the interesting thing to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know who has the answers, but your optimism is... um Thank you for that. Wonderful for me to hear (laughs) because you're in a situation that's much different than me that is more impacted and, and you're finding optimism. So... Um, so I don't what know. What the fuck whether, are we doing? We yeah. gotta step it up, man. <laughs> I don't Jeez. know whether that it's, speaks to uh, a, a negative point on me or an extreme. I gotta positive start journal- point on journaling. You. That's yeah. what that means. It,
1: yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think another good thing is that you know I've really like connected and called and checked in with a lot of people that you know maybe if this was going on, I would have waited a couple more months or a couple more years yeah. in order to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough because like everyone is handling this differently. I think that we're all. Fed the worst cases, oh my gosh, this perfectly healthy 16-year-old high school star athlete that died in three seconds after someone sneezed on him. Mm-hmm. And you see that story on the news and it just causes fear, panic. Fear. But in my own you know, anecdotal circle, I mean, everyone is handling this completely differently. I have friends that are devastated, depressed, anxious, don't know what to do. They're just sitting in their house drinking and smoking and watching netflix i have some friends that are hustling more than ever i have friends that are thriving and they're like this is my rehab and they're really getting on top of their personal development they have Mm -hmm. time to write their script they have time to start their business and write that book and record in the studio and do all those things maybe that that they were putting off a lot of people hated their job and then they were let go and this was this wake-up call that relinquished them from the the things that they don't want to do and i mean that's what's really crazy is like You think about all these horrible things. I mean, uh, like you could even think about, you know, someone who's like in the middle of a war zone or something. And it's like when you think about these terrible things from afar, it just seems horrific. And it obviously is to live through it and to live through anything terrible. But there's also the element that whatever is your reality is your reality. And I think that for a lot of people, it, you know, you wake up, or at least what I try to do is I wake up, you know, I have the same initial wave of, of emotions as everyone else, especially when this first started happening. I had the anxiety, I had the despair and the worry and all of that. But I think the healthiest way to deal with it is to say, okay, that this is happening. This is the reality we live in. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm gonna leave that there. I'm going to accept it and just ask yourself, okay, what is the next good thing, the next thing I need to do? Uh, like a, a quote I think it was from uh, Joe Rogan to bring up another podcast uh, <laughs> host but uh, shout out to Joe Rogan We're shout out big big fans yeah um, one one inspirational quote I heard from him that always resonated with me going back to the hero's journey is he, he said something along the lines of pretend your life is a movie and just pretend even if maybe you don't see yourself as that but pretend you're the hero of your movie and the movie starts right now the movie starts in this moment what does the hero do? What does the next thing your hero do in your film to get to the end of the movie, to get to that happy ending? And I found that as a really good framework to live your life because you can place yourself into any situation. So you could say, all right, I've just lost my job. I got denied for unemployment. I'm living in LA. I can't afford my rent. My family's sick. You could be in any kind of situation, but if you could just kind of ask yourself, okay, like these things are out of my control. What can I control? And what is the next... Thing I can do to dig myself out of this hole and to climb up, you know, into a better future. And I think all of us kind of have to do that on some level to make it through this.
0: Well, I think that Beautiful. was That's an amazing summation. Fantastic thing to wrap up on. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, now the most important thing is, Zev, please promote everything you can. Uh, everything you uh,
2: want yeah website so we already got zev z-e-v underscore learner l-e-r-n-e-r uh what else is new what is uh, what else is exciting he is uh he is for hire so get yeah, in touch with your projects
0: can, i can personally vouch for zev's ability i uh, work with him multiple times and every time he's far exceeded expectations so, so uh,
2: now, now that now that we've told him to pitch himself and we're pitching him <laughs> for him why don't you go ahead <laughs> and tell that's not
1: yeah. much, much better um yeah No. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, in the future, I'm definitely planning on, uh, you know, getting involved a little bit more in stuff like this. And, uh, um, getting a little bit more involved with my social media. I just started a new LLC beginning of March. And so website isn't up yet. So I don't, you know, I wish I could kind of pitch that. It's called zeal media LLC. Okay. Um, and so I wish I did have, have you bought a domain yet? Yeah, I have the domain. I'm just what the domain is. I would have had to cut that out if you had, (laughs) I guess I think the domain is, uh, it should be zealmedia.com. Spell it. Z E E L zealmedia acom zealmedia.com so the website Perfect. might not be
2: live uh, if you're listening to this on the day that it launches but uh check it at some point in the future and can, yeah fill out something yeah. on the contact us page hopefully there's a con there's gonna be, will a, be hopefully there's yeah. gonna be a contact yeah. us page so. and then
1: after that launches come on and promote it again of course yeah i mean i wish i had something a little more concrete but i can say you know if anyone listening to this uh If, uh, you know, you want to DM me on Instagram, um, he's going to give four people a
2: 15 minute free consultation. If you, uh, if you DM him,
1: perfect free video strategy call with Zev and I'll even throw in a free habit tracker with that. Amazing. amazing. Well,
0: thank you so much, Zev, for coming on. This is our first guest,
1: man. Can't tell you how much we
2: appreciate your coming on. I've definitely gained a lot out of this. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to more great guests like you and looking forward to having you back at some point in the future, man.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been Deus Life, an aspirational podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for
1: having me on.
2: Peace.